Early voting is underway for the midterm elections, and every race matters. From the governor to the U.S. Senate, the legislature, and on down to the school boards. The gaggle and the Arizona Republic's political team are connected with candidates so you can hear them make their case to voters in their words. This is a part of a series of special bonus episodes of The Gaggle throughout the voting period. I'm Amanda Luberto, one of the producers for The Gaggle. In this bonus episode, we'll hear from the two candidates running for the first congressional district, which spans the Northeast Valley and reaches into parts of North Central Phoenix. Incumbent Republican David Schweikert is facing Democrat Jevin Hodge to represent one of Arizona's wealthiest districts. You will hear Tara Kavler, a politics reporter for the Arizona Republic, ask the questions to each of the candidates. First, you will hear from David Schweikert, followed by Jevin Hodge. Well, we're standing here beside the House floor. Can you talk a little bit about your legislative accomplishments and what you're proudest of? Sure, and I apologize for all the background noises. All those buzzers you hear is they've just called another vote. Look, in many ways, I I feel incredibly blessed. I've been able to move up in the committee system, so I'm now a, a senior member of the Ways and Means Committee. But over the years, my fixation has been just a couple things. Um, economic growth, so the Jobs Act from years ago, the tax reform bills, things that I that were actually really good for Arizona, and then some very Arizona-centric things, um, moving resources to Valley Fever, um, uh, working on certain water issues. So uh, in many ways I've been blessed because a couple of the major pieces of legislation over the last decade, um, I was one of the team putting them together. What is the most pressing issue in your district? Um, In our community right now, it's going to be inflation. We are the epicenter of inflation in the continental United States. And it's hard for people because, you know, whether it be the press or us in the political class, we throw out these percentages. You know, we had 13% inflation annualized. You need to help understand that's a month and a half of someone's work that they're not getting paid for. In our community, if you haven't had a pay hike, you've lost a month and a half of your labor. For the working poor, for for the middle class, it's just crushing. And and we're starting to see it in some of the numbers. Um, The number of folks who are now behind in their car payments, their credit card payments, even their mortgages, and it's fixable. But you have a, a Congress right now that's so polarized, it's unable to move the things that would actually help create growth and take on inflation at the same time. And what, can you talk a little bit about what, what steps you think Congress should take? All right. I don't want to go into my economics lesson, but I always beg people, take a look at my floor speeches because I do it in great detail. But what is inflation? You know, your, our high school economics class, it was too many dollars chasing too many, too few goods and services. You and I could actually, as members of Congress, do policies that would, A, encourage you to say, instead of going out and buying that new big screen television, we're going to provide you a spiff, an incentive, a value to take some of that cash and put it in your retirement account. Then there's the other part of the ledger. We could do things to make more stuff, fix expensing in the tax code, um, some of the incentives 
to make society more productive. So you would have actually more goods and services to sop up the excess capital. Um, so it's, it's not just let the Federal Reserve raise interest rates, crash the economy, throw people out of work, and export inflation around the world. We could have done things, we can do things on the productivity side. And then just switching over to the campaign, why should people in your district, why should people, I guess, in the new first district um, vote for you as opposed to your opponent? A couple things. We, first on just the, the, the neighborhood th side, we provide amazing customer service. If you need a passport, if um, you, you have a family member who wants to pursue a, a, an academy nomination or you're having trouble with the IRS or Social Security, um, something I'm very proud of is, is our team we built in our district office, I think is the best anywhere. And, and that's part of, uh, of what we do as a member of Congress. You know, you think of us here voting and working on bills, but part of it is we're also your, your defender when you have to deal with the government. We're also the one that helps you through when you desperately need that passport. So that's one thing we do very well. The other thing is, um, I think having lived in the district my whole life and, and, and run businesses and other things, from a policy standpoint, we're very much in sync with the community. You know, get the economics right. Growth is moral. It's one of the ways you help everyone from the working poor to the homeless to, to the, those at the top of the economic ladder is get the policies and the opportunities right, and therefore you help everyone. Um, so you've been in Congress for a while. Like, what have you learned like, from like, your experience as a legislator? And, and I'm going to sound a little cranky on this. Um, how much of what Congress does is actually about the money? The army of lobbyists that are in the hallways, the people that come visit you, even, even the contacts you have in your office, if you often break them down, it's become about the money. And in many ways, that's actually very sad because we're in real financial trouble. You know, demographically, we're getting very old as a society very, very fast. Um, uh, economic growth is actually fading. The long-term GDP outlook has been ratcheted down substantially the next couple of years. My great frustration, what I've learned, is Congress chases around the shiny objects, what gets me in the paper, what gets me on cable television, and doesn't think through the complexities of what creates long-term stability and growth and prosperity. Because it's hard, it's complicated, and a lot of times our voters don't necessarily want a half an hour of an economics discussion on if we do this on tax, if we do this on immigration, if we do this on technology. The fact of the incredible amount of shortfall Medicare has, I means 75% of the coming debt is just the shortfall of Medicare. So I know that was a complex answer, but it's what I've learned, it's about the money and the solutions are actually there, but they're complex. So bipartisanship is um, an issue. Why, why is it that when I talk to a lot of voters in Arizona, I, I think the question that I get a lot is, why can't Congress just work together? Why can't we just like get along essentially? And so why is partisanship 
it, the way that it is? It, it's actually it's actually a brilliant question. Why is there such polarization? And I think you might be surprised how friendly members of Congress are to each other, you know, Republicans and Democrats. But I can give you one quick living example. Um, one of the people I'm closest to on Ways and Means is a California Democrat. He and I, on our first couple of years on Ways and Means together, did multiple bills together. A couple of years ago, he came to me and said, David, I can't sponsor any more bills with you because I'm getting the crap kicked out of me by my activists in, in Central California. What happens when even our base, our, our voters, engage in sort of a rage because you appear to be actually working with someone on the other side. And look, you know, I, I'm a conservative, but, but much of what I do in the tax code and the trade code and, and, and Medicare finance, it's just technical. And trying to explain to people that 90% of what we do is just technical. Why are you running for office? Of course, of course. And so um, I'm an Arizona native, born and raised here uh, in the great state of Arizona, son of a single parent. My mother raised my brother and I by herself and taught us everything we needed to know to be successful. But growing up, times weren't always easy for us. We were on food stamps, uh, lived in affordable housing, didn't have a car until I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, and through hard work and, and perseverance, I was able to go off to one of the nation's top universities on a pale grant bunch of loans and 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 came out as a young business leader and at the end of the day like I got my opportunity and I'm going to fight every single day for every Arizona to get their opportunity as well uh, we need leaders that are going to be unifiers that are going to work across party lines with Democrats Republicans independents alike to deliver real results for the American people uh, to cut costs to identify you know new opportunities and to bring jobs and economic innovation to Arizona. Um, and I'm, I'm running to be that leader uh, for Arizona and for this country. What is the most um, pressing issue in your district? Uh, right now, it, it, it definitely, uh, there are a number of different issues, I would say. Okay. Uh, but it, it, Broadly speaking, it would probably be the economy um, in some way, shape or form, uh, whether it's talking about inflation or investments or the human economy. Uh, as it pertains to uh, housing and healthcare and education, but I would say the the economy in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I was wondering, are there any uh, issues that are specific to CD one only? Actually, yes, there are issues that are specific to CD one, um, and it's in, in inspiring and creating uh, a more lucrative uh, environment for economic prosperity. Uh, in, in creating economic development. I mean, you look at Scottsdale, you look at North Phoenix, we can be the tech hub of the Southwest. We got the Mayo Clinic here. We have op, uh, an oasis of opportunity. Um, and when we talk about issues that are specific here is how do we attract you know, high-wage jobs so that we can retain the amazing individuals that are coming here to go to school and to work and play uh, and retire? Uh, so that we can make our community the, the, the best community in the country. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about your Head Start program that, you, that you're the head of. 
Of course, the Booker T. Washington Child Development Center is the longest running Head Start in the state of Arizona. Uh, founded by Mr. Calvin C. Good. Uh, Mr. Good is an, an icon um, in in our community here. Um, the Phoenix Municipal Building is named after Mr. Good. He was the first African-American to serve on the uh, Phoenix City Council and became the first African-American mayor. I mean, excuse me, vice mayor of uh, the city of Phoenix. Um, and he was my mentor. And so he led this institution for several years. Um, and uh, about seven years ago, he passed it on to me uh, to lead us through uh, the next phase of uh uh, of growth and development. Uh, we we own nearly a city block in Phoenix between 15th and 16th on Adams. Uh, and the institution is a five-star, high-quality Head Start. I mean, we've expanded it's under my leadership. You know, right now we serve nearly 700 families and um, 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 we are gearing up to double in size. So uh, Representative Schweikert's ethics issues is not like a new issue. It's something that um, has been plaguing, I guess, his campaign for a while. It's been under investigation for a while. The voters of CD1 already know this um, about him. Why do you think they keep electing him? I mean, here's what it comes down to, right? It comes down to the fact that uh, Arizonans are fed up and they're tired of of this nonsense that uh, is happening. Uh, The district lines have been redrawn. Uh, and it's been redrawn in such a way that we picked up a very significant portion of Central Phoenix and South Scottsdale um, that um, the voters are very in tune with what's happening um, and, and skews democratically. Uh, as you see, we've gone from a district that uh, President Trump, uh, Martha McSally and David Schreicher won by four and a half points to under the current lines, uh, President Biden. Senator Kelly and the previous Democratic nominee would have won by a point and a half or more, right? And so we've seen the the vote margin off the top shift in our direction. And I think that one thing that is significant here in this election cycle is, uh, number one, is that he has recently been uh, convicted again, um, and this time with a $175,000 fine. Um, And then number two, um, you have some very critical... um, pieces of legislation have gone through the Congress. Um, You look at the bipartisan infrastructure package. You look at the American Rescue Plan. You look at marriage equality. You look at the ability to qualify role. You look at the Inflation Reduction Act. All of these are significant pieces of legislation that would help Americans in their time of need, and he's voted no. So is bringing uh, is bringing to the surface not only his voting record but his ethical issues because he is um, uh, elevating right in, in what he's doing. And then the last thing here is that for the first time since he ran for Congress in the first election, six, six terms ago, uh, he has had a competitive Republican primary. And by having a competitive Republican primary, we saw several millions of dollars that were spent uh, and to tell that story of his ethical violations uh, and his, uh, uh, his failure uh, to deliver and lead for the uh, people of, uh, of Arizona. And with that being said, right, even though someone may be voting in the Republican primary, uh, their views are not that of the extremists uh, or the, the, the Trump-aligned MAGA views that uh, David Schweikert has. You, there are several, and I mean several individuals in this district that are very Goldwater style, uh, John McCain style Republicans. I call them real reality Republicans. These are card carrying principled conservatives that are willing to put their country 
before their party. And while they may have participated in the Republican primary, they absolutely cannot align and agree with what David Schweikert is doing. And so you, you will see that come to life in this upcoming election. Um, and one last thing, um, I saw today that the, I guess it was the email blast about um, the Cook political report moving yep. the race to a toss up. And I was wondering right. if you could talk, talk a little bit more about that and why you think that is. It comes down to a number of different things, right? Voters are more excited and motivated and engaged and energized than ever, right? Right now, in the halls of Congress, we have people that are actively working to tear down what we all collectively have worked so hard to protect and preserve. Not only is this the most important election, because every election is important, but this is the most important election because the future of our republic is at stake. And by having election deniers uh, and individuals that support the insurrectionists of January 6th in the halls of Congress, we will compromise, fundamentally compromise the integrity of our system as a whole. And so the rating today reflects the energy that is on the ground. This race has been a toss-up from day one, but I am so honored and proud to see Dave Wasserman and the Cook Political Report give this race the the valuation that it deserves. Um, Folks are excited, folks are motivated, Folks are engaged. And then on top of it, we really do have a race on our hands. We've outraised David Schweikert the last four quarters over. Uh, at the end of the last reporting period, we had more than a quarter of a million cash advantage on hand than David Schweikert has. And I can tell you this, our team is out working every single day. We are knocking thousands of doors a week. We are making several phone calls. We're coupling that with phone calls. We're getting people excited and motivated. And we're inviting new people involved to be involved in the process. Just to be uh, give you an example of this, I was at the Salt River, Pima, uh, Maricopa Indian community registering voters. And I got to tell you, I was only there for you know a little under two hours, but we registered you know, 10, 15 voters. We had some great conversations and these are new people being involved in the process. And when I hear about the issues that are impacting them, they're worried about the cost everyday costs and energy costs like gas costs and the cost of groceries they're worried about their health care they're worried about their marriages right and if it's going to be upheld by federal law like people are concerned about the issues of the day and folks like david schweikert are actively working to tear down the basic basic fundamental values that makes america uniquely american and, and then the last thing here about why this the race rating is so important is that David Schweikert is bought and paid for by special interests. The pharmaceutical company, the gas industry, they are funding his campaigns. That's where he's getting his dollars. Our campaign is a truly grassroots, ground level, Arizona driven campaign where we're exciting people and voters that have never been involved in the political process before because they understand what is at stake. That wraps up this bonus episode of The Gaggle's 2022 midterm Q&As. Thanks again to Tara Kavaler for conducting the interviews. You can follow her work online at azcentral.com and on Twitter at Kavaler Tara. That's K-A-V-A-L-E-R-T-A-R-A. You can follow me at Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. 
Keep up to date with all of our episodes by subscribing to The Gaggle wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for more candidate Q&As by The Gaggle.